0: Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan and I'm Jeremy and we are the Evangelicals and we are coming to you without bumper music today because my computer was updating and somehow with the, with, uh, the software that we use, I can't get it started and Jeremy and I, although we enjoy doing this podcast, can't afford to
1: spend all day on it because as <laughs> we've mentioned many times before, you don't fund us. Yeah, we, yeah. and this, this is Jonathan's iPhone. Yeah. So if it sounds a bit wonk. It's all right.
0: Yeah, and for those of you out there that are thinking about podcasting, I uh, maybe just give you a quick tutorial. There are a lot of people there are a lot of people selling devices that actually make audio quality lower than what you're going to experience today. Just record it on your iPhone, folks. Yeah. Because we're recording it on my it's iPhone. It's way
1: easier yeah. than it, than in, than you. Know, you yeah. can make it way difficult. So, so today, we're talking about fundamentalism and the and,
0: and our lens with which we interpret scripture, right? Scripture,
1: yeah, and a lot of opinions. You know, do we take the Bible literally? Is it more figurative or metaphorical? Is it, um, yeah, poetry? Is it prose? How do we look at this? And and maybe the answer is yes to all of the above. <laughs> to all of the above
0: so i guess the the maybe it would be good at the at the beginning just to show our cards so that it's not i don't know so it doesn't seem ambiguous we're not this is not a bait and switch podcast this is actually us expressing strongly our opinions because we feel that people who are expressing their opinions strongly particularly evangelicals are doing damage in the world right now and we want to provide an alternative Lens. These thoughts are not original with us by any stretch of the imagination. We're not claiming originality. We're just claiming that to be a part of a tradition that we think has tools to help us stay true to scripture in the sense of believing that it is the authoritative word of God, but also not feeling so bound to it that we're you know inflex- inflexible or rigid in the world.
1: Well, people have used the Bible to cause great harm and great affliction in people's lives. And I don't think that if we claim to be the God of the living jesus, the life-giving jesus that if it brings harm or or oppression to people then we're potentially we're looking at it wrongly. And I think that there's always it's always good to have continual conversations about things. You know sometimes yes. we never get to the end and sometimes it's good just to be reminded or to to maybe look at something from a different perspective. And so I think that and, and and then just to, to to push the conversation a little further, as Christians, this is gonna be a shocker, um, we don't worship the Bible. That's right. And but a lot of people do. But we worship the God that the Bible speaks about. And so we we but we we too often have a bibliolatry in the church and And we hold the Bible in a place that I don't think it was ever meant to be held, um, rather than understanding the Bible as pointing us to a God who is the creator of the universe. And part
0: of that is, I really do think, the development of Islam in the world. So in the development of Christianity, the Bible was not bound together the way we have post-Gutenberg. The Bible in the beginning was it was fragments, it was letters that were spread around. And, you know, people would say, oh, this was written by Paul, you know, who died 50 years ago. And this is important teaching for the church. But it wasn't, this is the authoritative word of God. This is just, these are the teachings that we understand, you know, together. Well, Islam comes about and the Quran is the unchangeable revelation from Allah to Muhammad. And so we, you know, there's all these wars, all these crusades, And the Muslims are saying, you know, this is the authoritative word of God. Well, then, you know, Christians are saying, no, this is the authoritative word of God. And we start using their hermeneutics in scripture. I think maybe because we feel like we need to. And and it's just, it's, it has only, it has only caused us, caused us trouble in the church since then. But I want to go back to Jesus. You, You said something about Jesus. Jesus was killed because He did not take scripture literally. Hmm. And I think we need to realize that at the beginning of the old Testament of the Hebrew Bible, Moses goes up on a mountain and receives the law at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountain and what does he do? He refutes the law. He said, you've heard it said, do not murder. That's not good enough. Folks. The Bible is not good enough. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying to the Jews, then the Bible is not good enough. This is what John says when he says you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit with fire. The Bible is not good enough. You need the spirit of God written on your hearts to transform you, to soften your hearts. Moses said, don't murder. Hmm. I say to you, don't be angry. Hmm. Moses said to you, do not commit adultery. That's not good enough. The Bible is not good enough. I'm saying to you, do not lust after a woman. Uh, The Pharisees come to him and ask, they say, you know, in the law, Moses tells us that we can divorce our wives. And what does Jesus say? He says, Moses told you that because your hearts were hard. Right. And I'm telling you, have soft hearts. Yeah. Get over your fundamentalism of scripture. Right. Live in the world. He says to Nicodemus, this isn't about fundamentalism. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Follow the spirit. Uh, I was, I was, we, we talked about lifting up the stake in the desert. Did we talk about that last podcast? The lifting up the stake in in the desert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason that people in the, in that story would not look at a serpent is because looking at a serpent was idolatry. And the law told them, do not have idols, right? And what's crazy is the God in that story has Moses make an idol. It's like, all right, religious people, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to go against your religion. You're going to have to look at what you could understand to be an idol. And I'm confident in those days, hardcore religious people were choosing not to look at the thing that could save them physically because of their religion.
1: So the the biggest arguments I feel like that happen around the Bible is do you take it literally or do you not take it literally? And yes. and I think that let's just get this on the table. Nobody actually is a literalist with every verse of the Bible. You're exactly right. I had a fundamentalist who was arguing with me
0: um um he he I say arguing. It wasn't a long argument. He just said I can't believe that you think that women should preach. And I said I said, "Have you ever masturbated or looked at a woman lustfully?" He said, "Well, yeah." I said, "It looks to me like you have both hands or both eyes." Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "He's like, well, Jesus wasn't being serious." I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> but if if you're if if you can so confidently tell me when and where Jesus is and it is not being serious, that we're not having this conversation." Everybody
1: interprets it. Yes. everybody. Nobody is looking at every verse and saying, "I take this." Just to the gut level, literal. Yeah. And so, so if we could just all breathe a little bit and understand that we are all interpreting the very thing that we are reading. And, um, and, and, and I think that's, once again, there, there's so many other passages that I think that if you were to take it literally, the war, you, you're, you're, you know, you, you don't do all of the things I guess. And, um, especially when you get to Leviticus, like that, we just got to stop there. So, then the argument is like, well, that was pre-Jesus, and now we're post-Jesus. It's, and it's all
0: the post-biblical <sighs> arguments about the Bible. It's like, you guys, don't we realize we're not taking the Bible literally at this point? Right. The point at which you're justifying the Bible by some other means,
1: you're not taking it literally. So I think that that helps potentially. Um, I don't know that it solves any issues, but I, if we could just get that once again on the table. Nobody... Literally takes the Bible <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a overuse of the word, but it seemed to make sense. So I think that throwing that on the table. So I think that the next part is how do we um, try to understand and get at what Scripture is telling us. And and there are a few certain passages that people point to that when they say they take the Bible literally, there's usually a few issues that they bring up. One being um, women and men and their their role and what how they interact with each other but then also the roles of women in church it seems like those are the ones that everybody wants to harp on that we got to take this literally and uh and so we were talking about the second timothy passage and i think you have first first timothy sorry Um, first
0: timothy too so paul writing to his young pupil timothy his student he says this is paul's words these are these are paul's romans guy right the guy that wrote yep yeah. Same dude. Oh, was it Luther? Yeah. Who said Damascus it? road yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. <clears throat> okay. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. Paul says, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent for Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. There there are two things here where we don't understand Paul to be right. In the church, in church, like in historical theology, even in reform circles, we understand that Paul is not right here about two things. The first is that the woman was deceived, not Adam. Actually, the Genesis that's a misunderstanding of the Genesis story. The Hebrew Bible says that Eve took took a bite of the fruit and gave some to her husband who was standing there with her. They were deceived in tandem. The, the, the Adam in scripture is not some strong, dominant, uh, uh, how should I say, smart man. He's a fumbling, bumbling, silent, responsive individual Who's really non-social in a sense,
1: and most women would probably say, "Amen." <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> oh
1: man, no, that was good. That was good.
0: Um, but but it it is it is just it's the case that 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 we don't believe that. Sure. About Genesis, we believe that Adam and Eve they sin together. Mm-hmm. This is a shared human problem. Yep. Okay, but it is a it is in Paul, this idea. He gives us the idea that that women are kind of inferior here. Sure. Then he says a woman will be saved through childbearing. What does that even mean? Now, I will say John Piper, who is a literalist of scripture, he claims to be. He actually spends some time teaching on this, trying to explain around what Paul is like, trying to help Paul out here, which to me is so frustrating. Sure. Because it's like, hey, John, if you're going to say women, be silent. Tell women you better have a child. Right. I, I'm like, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, you're, you can't, you can't take one verse literally because you like it so much. And then the next
1: verse explain away. You know who takes this verse literally to the T or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
0: I, I am not aware. They
1: of think they, that women will be eternally pregnant, that that is their hope and their salvation. That's why they have so many kids on earth as they're getting ready for what eternity is going to look like. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, I was not aware of that. So guy, they do, but I? that's why they have a lot of kids is they're getting ready for their eternal destiny of having more kids. So, all right.
0: But this, um, there's another part here. So Paul says, um, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. I was sitting at dinner with a man at a, um, a more reformed, uh, fundamentalist, I shouldn't say reformed, a more fundamentalist uh, camp that I was invited to sing at last year. And I was sitting at this, this table with this man. And what was interesting is he said, you know, I'm fine with, I'm fine with women teaching and, and preaching. It's just when women have authority over men that I have a problem, so for him, in this passage, he disagreed with Paul that women didn't need to be silent, but he drew the line at women having authority over a man, and it's just but this is what we do as christians we and we ought to admit it,
1: and he probably felt he was very progressive in his thinking,
0: yes, <laughs> you know because he's moving beyond the fundamentalists, right, but the thing is I mean. the way of the cross is submission is mutual submission we've talked Mm -hmm. about this in our podcast when we talked about marriage Mm -hmm. i mean if you take the full counsel of scripture nobody should ever be jockeying for some sort of dominant position in any relationship Mm -hmm. that is Mm anti-christianity so this is kind of an irrelevant thought in many senses i don't i should never come to a point in my life where i need to what's the old leadership idea pull rank where I need to say, well, you're a woman and I'm a man. So it's my way or the highway. <laughs> I mean, what a non-Christian approach to leadership. Yeah.
1: Right. It's, it's, it's still there. We actually had, um, we brought on an associate who was a lady and we had a family leave our church because, because she was going to be allowed to, to speak and induce such things. And, um, I I give it to the 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 dad in the house he came to me we had a great conversation and I said I'm not sorry like this is how we believe what we believe and I think that um I'm sorry that that it that you don't you know (laughs) like that's more of where I'm I'm hurting is not that um but but it's not going to change you know like this is just is what it is I, I think that I think that what's difficult when we approach scripture and fundamentalist and is sometimes we are terrible at living with tensions in life. And I think that that the scripture speaks to, but also, especially if you look at Jesus, he the tension, he he was in the middle. And I don't mean tension like um, in a bad thing. But there's the tension of how do we believe in a good God but still see evil things happening? There's this tension. How do we understand what Jesus ultimately wants to do to the world, but we're not quite there yet? And I think that when we're interpreting Scripture, and even sometimes when you look at the passages that Jesus quoted, I don't think that Jesus was was taking those things out of context. But sometimes you look back and you're like, but that's not exactly what that passage in essence was saying. I think Paul sometimes we, we hearken back to Genesis three or we hearken back to some of the things in the old Testament and in, in the essence of who God had was creating this people to be, take things in a totally different direction than I think the, the, the passage was getting at. Let me, let me just give a quick example because I don't feel like I'm making a whole lot of sense right now. In Genesis three where God says the man will rule over the woman. Yeah. Um, a lot of people quote that and say, "See, it's in the Bible." A couple things: um, both of the the curses that were handed out were actually equal, same Hebrew word. So it wasn't like the man's was different than the woman's; that they were lived out differently, but it wasn't like one was above the other. Um, and then, two, that's not the way God created the world to be. I think we've talked about that before. So why are we hearkening back to a broken? way that God said the world was going to be, um, and not back to the originality of how God intended the world to be, which was this, this partnership, this equality, this, this understanding of, um. And, you know, if if Adam was so strong, why wasn't he telling the serpent, like, get away? You know, like, why was he hovering, and not a part of this conversation? He was letting right. the woman handle right. this whole thing. Right. If he was such a strong person and a strong leader who somehow was deceived by this conniving woman or whatever to eat this fruit, then why wasn't he the one who was out having this conversation with the serpent, taking care of of what needed to be taken care of? And so I think, Scripture from the get-go is this equality, is this understanding. And I think we would do better to hold the Bible in a place that says, this is going to say some things that that we think, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that really lines up with who we think God is potentially calling us to be. And, and living in that, holding the Bible as inspired, as authoritative... But we're able to dance with it a little bit and have a little bit of a conversation with it, rather than just saying, "Well, the Bible said it, so it's got to be this this way."
0: Well, I love I love what you're saying about living into, because living into is eschatology. We've talked about this word before. It's the idea of the understanding of end things, where everything is headed, mm-hmm. and the one of one of the reasons that that we understand women to have authority to speak in the church is not just because we're progressive liberals who want to do away with the authority of scripture, but actually the scripture says that the eschatological vision for the end in the prophet Joel, that Peter preaches at the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter two, he says that what's happening in the spirit being poured out is a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says he will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What Joel is saying is that the evidence of God's work in the world is that women receive messages from God that are authoritative for everyone. That's what prophecy is. It's a word from God that's authoritative for everyone. And this isn't found just one place, isolated spot in the Bible, like this letter to Timothy. It's in Joel and Peter, the rock on which the church was, you know, founded, however you want to interpret that scripture, the one who stands up at the beginning and actually preaches the first, the first text, the first text preached in the church of Jesus Christ is a text that says evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that women will prophesy. Mm. And so it's not, it's just, it's ridiculous that we would spend all of our time fighting over this little, this letter to Timothy, which was intended to be a personal correspondence. And, and we don't, we don't have the humility to just say, you know what, even though as a man, I would like to tell, you know, whatever woman I'm upset at, with at the time to stop talking. And Paul says it too. Uh, actually as a man, <laughs> oh man, I should probably listen to that woman <laughs> because these are the last days and mm. she might have an authoritative word of God for me. And I, in holy submission, ought to bite my tongue and listen to what she's saying, because that is evidence of the spirit in me, right? Yeah. And I'm allowing her to, the the privilege of the eschatology of the early church,
1: Yeah, it's interesting that we build a whole theology on two verses when there's thousands and thousands of other verses that that speak to something different. Could it be that um, for a fundamentalist, that the way that we understand what's Christian and not is do people have right beliefs? And it's all about what you believe and mm. do you believe the right things and do you mm. have understanding and do you believe the right things about the Bible and what the Bible says? And and maybe we've done that to the neglect of understanding that the Bible actually calls us to live a certain way and to do certain things. And I'm not saying that belief and, and the Bible are unimportant, but there's a whole lot of scripture that talks about what we do and how we live in relation to God and especially other people um have we so emphasized one that if you don't have right belief or believe like me or believe this about the Bible or this verse that you can't be a follower of Jesus and we need to bring back this a little more understanding about what James talks about and I think even Jesus like there's there's things that we are to do that are evidence of our love of God and love of people. Um, I mean, Jesus didn't say they will know you're my disciples by what you believe and and if you can can give a great dissertation about First Timothy or whatever. That's exactly right. He says they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And um, and so have we have we substituted what jesus even asked us to do and turned our faith into people believing the right things and and sacrificed what real faith might look like
0: uh with my with my uh, students my my freshman undergrad students that i teach an intro of religion course for we talk about misunderstandings of faith and i may have listed lifted this up in a podcast um, once before but uh there's this uh scholar named Terrence Tilley who writes this little piece about misunderstandings of faith. And one of them is, uh, there's a, um, rationalist misunderstanding of faith that is exactly what you're talking about. It's this idea that if, if we can believe all of the right things, then that's how we have faith. And the, the problem with that understanding of scripture is that it really does refute the Matthew 25 passage mm. where at the end, in the judgment, Jesus doesn't ask any questions about right belief, Hmm. nothing. The question is, what did you do for the least of these? And this is difficult for us because we love the Romans road. We love, we love that little, that Sunday school synopsis of Romans that all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We we have so uh, crystallized, um, crystallized makes it sound positive. We, we have so like limited or brought low.
1: Petrified.
0: Condensed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I like that. I like that this this beautiful the the book of the book of Romans, which a huge part of the book of Romans is Romans eight mm-hmm. where Paul talks about this radical shift that happens in us, thanks be to God that mm-hmm. um he transforms us and he sanctifies us by his spirit you know I mean but that's not in the romans road because that's that's hard to it's hard to quantify it's hard to nail down you know and and part of the reason Listen, Jeremy and I are very aware of this. Part of the reason that people don't like the Church of the Nazarene, the denomination that we're a part of, is because in the early 20th century, the church was was claiming that God was doing a miraculous work in people, entire sanctification. And it's hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. And people have always argued about what it means. And people would say about us, you guys have weak doctrine. And the fact of the matter is, Jeremy...
1: (sighs) (laughs) Are you sitting down at home?
0: Yeah. We do have weak doctrine because our primary concern is not doctrine. Mm. It's people. Mm. And people are all different. Yeah. And so it's hard for us to write a doctrine. And it's why every four years we get together and kind of argue is what we're saying in our doctrine, right? Because it's not that we're changing the holiness message. It's not that we're changing the fact that God actually transforms people's life and entirely sanctifies them. And I pray to God that, that is still sanctifying me. I pray the prayer of David consistently. Oh God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I'm fundamentally a different person now than I was 10 years ago because I've been walking with God yet. That's not, I can't, I can't capture that in a small, is the word, pithy statement of doctrine. Yeah. And I'm not, the aim of my life is not primarily to do that.
1: Right? Could, could it be that the reason we have leaned so heavily on belief <clears throat> is because it actually gets us off the hook to actually get with the messy people? and to actually love people, that all I have to do is believe the right things and so I can feel good about myself and say, well, I believe all, you know, who God is. I believe who Jesus is. And I think our doctrine of holiness, especially with the first people, Brzee, who started the Nazarene Church, and Whitney and all those guys, the reason they were so adamant about this doctrine is because of what it actually called them to do for the world, yes. Not because of what it called, not because of what it did, just for the inside, the heart of the believer. It called them to go to the Skid Row in the inner city, Los yes. Angeles. It called them, and the whole reason we're Nazarene was because it was for the poor and and the oppressed and the prostitute and the drunkard and yes. that this holiness beckoned us and called us to go love the unlovable. Yes, And we shifted to say, well, I just believe the right things and it didn't cause me to go do the things that Jesus actually asked me to do. And that was way easier because it got me off the hook of having to actually do the things. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about, you gotta forgive your enemies. Well, that's something you gotta work on. You gotta love this person. You can't lust, you can't do this stuff. And most of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, this is what this life is actually asking you to do, not just believe. And, and so I think that it's easier just to say, it's, listen, it's easier as a pastor. I'll just be honest. I just got to get you to believe the right things and I've done my job. But I actually think my call as a pastor is to say, no, Jesus actually wants us to serve people. And that's a way harder, um, it's a way bigger ask than just believing a few yes. few things. And that's where I think the message of holiness should beckon us, if there really is a biblical understanding of holiness. And so we, we let ourselves off the hook and say, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, you know, and I confess that, and I'm good. And, and I don't know that we see that in what Scripture is calling us to.
0: I, I should not have said, it was, it was. I misspoke when I said that our doctrine is weak. Let me say it this way for people who are fundamentalists say that our doctrine is weak because it's not written in a fundamentalist way. Oh. And that is the case. That is just the case. It is not as although we wrote we bro- wrote our doctrine in an age in which fundamentalists were kind of ruling Christianity in America and telling everybody you have to write everything down, you know, so that we can, you know, argue or differentiate ourselves. Maybe we acquiesced a little bit too much in our thinking that we needed to really write it down. The reason that it doesn't look like maybe a fundamentalist expectation of doctrine is because it's not. And I, th- I think, so instead of saying weak, I should just say,
1: it's not, it's not standard. We tried to turn it into something that it was never meant yes. that it can't be. It can't. It just be. cannot Thank be you. that. Thank you. It cannot be it. If it's true holiness, biblical holiness, it cannot be, it cannot fit into a fundamentalist understanding of what the, the Bible is. or this life is life is. This is
0: why Jesus never wrote down a word. because Jesus Jesus was not a fundamentalist Mohammed Mohammed writes down everything and says this is it Jesus lives and other people write about him and John says if everything were to be written down about Jesus the the books in the world can't contain it so
1: I'm not gonna try we're not gonna try and which is why I think John Wesley was quick to say there's no holiness but social holiness yes no holiness but social holiness it's important so important Well, we hope
0: that you've enjoyed this episode today. And we're not going to have outro music here. You do need to know that the Evangelicals podcast is (laughs) recorded. (laughs) The Evangelicals
1: podcast is recorded (laughs) at (laughs) Lima
0: Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima,
1: Ohio. That was pretty good, Jeremy. It was was right. Yeah. It was the the melody. All right. See you guys. Yeah. Bye.